This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Office Hours, where we sit down with the chief executives shaping the world and answer your most pressing questions about leadership, career, and life. I'm Mike Stibe, and today we welcome to the show one of the funnest guys I know. Michael Stillman is CEO of Quality Branded Restaurants and one of the most respected restaurateurs in America. Five of his restaurants are in the top 50 grossing in the nation, and nobody you will ever meet throws a party like Michael Stillman. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast, man. Pleasure to be here. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited. How many martinis do your restaurants produce every year? You know what? That's a very good question. Uh, I would say probably about 100,000 martinis a year. 100,000 martinis a year. But honestly, I think uh, being called the funnest man that you know, yeah, or one of the funnest men you of. know, is probably Top one five. of the highlights of my week. Top five. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. 100,000 martinis. If this was a consulting case interview... We would have to go, we would have to size the number of how many people go to the restaurant, how many people go to the restaurants every year? It's 12 restaurants. Approximately, you know, 125 to 150,000 on average. So you- Annually. Do, yeah, so- uh, So one fourth of them have three million, to four martinis. Over a million. Oh, so over a million people go to the restaurants every year. Yeah, over a million people. 100,000 oh, per restaurant. 125 to 150,000 per restaurant on average. Jeez, you're from the outside, somebody would not appreciate that. You come into the restaurant, you sit, you eat, and you leave. How much volume you guys are doing every day? 
It's a lot. People always uh, take a look at it and they say, oh, you, you seem so crowded at 7 o'clock. And I said, but are you crowded at 5 o'clock? Are you crowded at 9 o'clock? Are you crowded at 2 o'clock? You, you are. Know? I can't get a table. I can get a table. But <laughs> you can't get a table. We have got a bunch of questions from folks, uh, some who are big fans of your restaurants, some who just love restaurants in general. A lot of people want to understand how the business works. And I'm going to go right to the first one. It is from our friend, Michael Mislansky. Michael was on the pod a couple of weeks ago and he left a question for you. And his question is, As a frequent visitor to your restaurants, you have an amazing ability to build restaurants that are so much fun for the consumer, which I think is not usually the case. Often restaurants are built for the executive chef. How is it that you kind of bottle that differently in every restaurant to create these wonderful experiences no matter where you go? Tell all of us, what does it take to make for a fun night or a fun restaurant or a fun vibe? That's an incredible question. I like the question. Uh, and the questioner. You know, I would start with saying uh, lighting something on fire always helps. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what, what, what kind of things do you generally light on fire? I mean, you can light anything on fire. You can light drinks on fire. You can light food on fire. You can light guests on fire. you got to put them out. But, uh, you know, you've got to make a show. You've got to make a little bit of a spectacle. Um, you know, honestly, I think we think about ourselves as having sort of a irreverent sense of humor. And I think that's part of the core of fun is just starting by not taking yourself so seriously. Right. Um, so I got a drink at Quality Branded, and it came in a ceramic peacock of some sort, and I had to kind of drink out of the tail. It was a good drink, but it was definitely a scene. My wife is a corporate attorney, and she complained to me that those drinks looked uh, too unprofessional for uh, have to work. <laughs> I said, you know what? You got to you know, ride the horse you came in on. <laughs> and I think that's a perfect example, though. I think, you know, um, an unexpected twist you know, can shake people out of the norm. And, you know, especially in a corporate environment, you know, that that sort of sets a tone. It separates us out and it sort of allows everyone you were with to sort of have a break in their normal action. And in a way that sort of, you know, mixes things up. And I think it creates the the opportunity for fun a lot. Now, I can I can imagine pulling that off for a dinner party. You're serving a million customers a year across a dozen restaurants. You guys must do well over $100 million of turnover every year. How do you scale that? How do you scale fun and surprise and and joy? That is one of the most complicated questions. Um, and I think it's something we think a lot about because obviously in your most amazing, you know, mom and pop restaurant, you are dealing hands-on with the owner, mm -hmm. you know, every single day. And they know you, they have high touch. Yes. Um, so I think a lot of it is about trying to make sure that people understand, you know, your core ideology and to sort of look for the right sort of candidates to be in your organization that get what you're all about. But I think beyond that, I think a lot of it is sort of just setting the tone early and allowing them the freedom to sort of work into your core, you know, concept, you know, and sort of building from their ideas and extrapolating on them. So part of it is creating programming that's sort of unique and special. Um, a lot of like table side service, 
a lot of sort of, you know. So this is like moments. you do the special Caesar salad at the table, you do the butter service at the table. That kind of that kind of stuff is 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 additive and fun. It's a big part of what we do, but I think more than that, I think it's sort of allowing people the opportunity at scale to create their own sense of fun, um, especially the people who work for us. Um, then they have a natural aptitude for what you're trying to do, and they understand sort of the, the the vibe of what you're trying to create, and and it becomes more organic. So there's pieces of both. We got a question from Marisol in Dallas, Texas. She she texted it in, asking, "80 percent of restaurants go out of business in two years. Yours seem to be thriving. So what is the secret to making profitable restaurants? So you told us how to make fun restaurants, yep. but your restaurants make dough. Yeah. How do you do it? It's a complicated industry. Um, I would say, you know, we think a lot about who the audience is. And I know that sounds so crazy, but I think when it comes down to it, so many people go into restaurant business for passion. Mm -hmm. um, but they think less about what their audience wants. They have an tremendous idea. They have something to share. They have the recipes of their family, but does it connect with the location they found and the people that are there? It's as basic as saying, where am I going to be? What do these people really want as a starting point? Yep. And can I build that consistently over time, you know, in a way that really satisfies that? And I think that sounds so basic, but, you know, time and time again, when people come to me and they say, hey, I want to open a restaurant and they talk me through their idea, you know, it's it's three or four layers down before I get to the, the premise of, you know, where you're going, what it is, like, is that what that audience wants, you know, as a starting right. point? So when you think your restaurants, it's Smith & Walensky, it's a Manhattan steakhouse that's been around for decades and decades. Who's that audience? Who's that, the audience you think about for that restaurant? So, you know, when my father built Smith-Wonski in 1977, there were two classic New York steakhouses at the time. One was The Palm, yep. the original Palm, and one was Chris Sellers, which is no longer around. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to create, you know, uh, a new version of a timeless classic. Yep. And part of his thought was to build a menu that actually had a bigger wine program, which mm -hmm. wasn't really the thing at the time at a steakhouse, yeah. and to focus on American wine, which was just starting to become prominent in the late 70s and early 80s, mm -hmm. and to sort of highlight a larger range of food. Like he had very specific ideas, and I think he felt like those key attributes were things that were differentiators for what the audience already, he knew what they liked. He wanted to be around what people liked, but he felt like he could create elements that they would like even right. more that made it unique, you know? And, and I his audience, presumably, this was late 70s, you said? It's like guys in suits trading stocks or selling insurance and then going out for stakes after work? It's a lot of corporate, a lot of, you know, great advertising was across the street and oh, uh, yeah, a lot of, all the classic law firms and a lot of yeah. that sort of power brokers. But, you know, I think he said, I see what they like. Can I create the next iteration, something more unique, something more special? But I think he built it on, you know, a core. And is, if, some, if someone was at the opening, and they came to the restaurant today, would they say, this is the same restaurant? This is still Smith & Walensky's? You know, my hope would be that someone would come and would say, this hasn't changed. 
in 45 years, and I'm sure you've heard this before, but my knowledge of the amount of things we have tweaked and prodded and pulled during that time to make it feel like the product that an audience in yeah. 2023 would want, but still feel timeless is probably the hardest of all the things I work on. And it, but it's maintained its essence. I believe so. Now then, if we drove that guy across town, yeah, to Bad Roman, yeah, and said this is the same restaurant tour, what would he think? It would be a different experience, extraordinarily challenging for them to believe it. So, in case anyone in our audience uh, hasn't been there or it isn't on Instagram, this is the most Instagram famous restaurant I think in the world. I mean, it's getting there. <laughs> T- tell our audience about Bad Roman. Um, Bad Roman, you know. What's funny is my father, when he came to Bad Roman, he said, you know, this is so different from anything I've ever done. And I said, you know, the irony is this is the essence of what you've done in a different way. It is meant to be, you know, uh, a maximalist reinterpretation of Italian. It's meant to be layers upon layers, like overwhelming sensory overload fun, you know, so much so you know, that you can't help but smile and and disengage. It's supposed to overwhelm you um, and, and really immerse you. Right. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, a daily podcast from Hello Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Every weekday, we bring you conversations with the culture makers who inspire us. Like our recent episode with Hollywood royalty Regina and Raina King. We talked about the creative power of women's relationships. I feel like, thank God for women. Like, especially when it comes to Black women, the way we lean on our mothers, our grandmothers, our sisters, our friends. We're just each other's pulse. I mean... It's molecular, you know? Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. 
This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to on purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Our next question is from Carlos in Scottsdale. You know, we lost so many businesses and restaurants during COVID. Wondering how you kept yours alive during that time. Um, this was a tough time. It was. It was tough for everybody, but for you guys, it was illegal to go to a restaurant. It was extraordinarily challenging. Um, we lost uh, four of our employees in April of 2020 um, to COVID, and uh, we had 1,100 employees, and we went down to 30 employees. Um, and slowly, we built it back up to having 1,500 people now. Um, it was insanely challenging, as I think for everyone it has been. Um, and I think we you know, had to focus on the core of what we were about. Um, and look, honestly, without government intervention, without the city's help, without a lot of creativity, without a lot of people working for us, sacrificing in so many ways, and, and friends and people helping out and our, you know, all the people went to our restaurants, stepping up and coming out and helping our people, like none of it, would have worked, but I think it started with those employees, the the power of wanting to have those people back in the door, to be able to have them working again, to be able to create for that. I think that created the energy for us. And I think we we pivoted to like crazy stuff outdoors. We we pivoted to, you know, as everyone, we pivoted to everything we could but we try to maintain the DNA of what worked mm -hmm. for us before. And, and for us, that was, you know, leaning into our people, you know, and leaning into our sense of fun and humor, especially in such a dire time yeah. and trying to like create some really unique and funny moments in what was such a, you know, challenging time. Yeah. I mean, I ate a steak in 35 degree weather at one of your restaurants outside. And <laughs> it was like, we were so, my wife, Kemp and I were so eager to get back. Well, to get back to normal life, that we were, we were willing to do abnormal things to be close to it. I remember when we first, uh, when people started to dine outside, um, we created some, you know, larger scale, more unique outdoor dining. And we were one of the first people right. to do it. And people said, how did you have the foresight to do that? How did you know? I said, we had no foresight. I didn't think we were creating something that we would use for a year and a half or two years. Uh, I thought we were creating uh, a, a sense of fun of marketing, uh, something people walk by and will be like stunned, you know, that, that right. while people were trying to, and I said, I think I said, I'm willing to 
sacrifice the kind of financial, you know, thing to be creative and to have a moment. And and it made people smile and it made people excited right. again. So you didn't just tent some tables. You built we, big structures outside. You One of yours had a bocce ball court or something on it. We built a giant structure, you know, made of grass or fake grass. It looked like a giant wall from, a, you know, a French Tuileries garden. And <laughs> I, everyone who walked by in the middle of midtown Manhattan, and at the time it was a crazy feeling here, smiled and and were amazed and it felt so good to be able to just create anything at that moment, just like to create something. And and that was so relevant and important. And I think it just, you know, one, for people to be able to eat anywhere and have that community, but be able to see something that it, that felt creative and inspiring when everything was all being yeah. shut down and closed in. I think people really reacted well to that. And that was really our intent because we didn't really think you know, and honestly, we hope that we weren't going to use it that long. Caroline in Denver. Hi. Restaurants seem like a chaotic business. What kind of setbacks do you experience and how do you handle the unexpected? Uh, <laughs> you know, the biblical, uh, you know, plagues, floods, fires, <laughs> yeah. pestilence. You just, you know check mark down the list and it's all of the above and then some. And, and, and health inspectors. Uh, and then some. I mean, we have had so many floods that I actually, you know, thought about how many different floods we had at openings that I've done over the years. Um, it's, you know, uh, an insane business of incredibly moving parts. And, you know, it's, it's literally... You know, it's you have to be able to roll up your sleeves, to want to roll up your sleeves at the most insane moment. Um, and I remember uh, at Quality Meet 17 years ago, about a month in, we had the most important critic at the time. And we had a flood outside and our kitchen was in the basement and it overflowed through the, the facilities and it flooded the whole kitchen. While you had a critic. While we had a critic. Putting in orders. And we had people on crates, milk crates. There was like a foot and a half of water. It was streaming down the the <laughs> stairway to the kitchen. You could not go to the bathrooms because it was streaming through the bathrooms. We were just, I hope this person doesn't need to go to the bathroom. And we continued to try to serve the whole restaurant, like piling through this water oh my for gosh. an hour until this person left because we just said, we're going to do it. We have no other other option. And, you know, I can think of time and time again, like part of it is the creative will and group to, to, to in some ways want for that moment, you know, to say, right. what are you going to bring at me? Because we're going to roll up our sleeves and be ready for it. There's a mentality in our business like that. I was going to opening night at Zuzu's. <laughs> and then, and then there was the, the kitchen burned down or something. Uh, um, we have had that was the second fire on opening night. You know, um, um, it starts to look like insurance fraud after a while, Michael. <laughs> 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 Keep having these these fires uh, on opening night. <laughs> uh, electric fires. <laughs> so, and when I guess our 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 caller wants to know, what do you do about it? It sounds like you just you just grind on. You get the crates. You, if there's a fire, you fix you, you you put it out, you fix it, you get back to work. Is there any particular takeaway other than just expect it to happen and do your best? I, I, I mean, I think it's tried to say, but I think those moments are the moments where you can create the most unique experiences long term 
for your guests and for your employees. And, you know, the first time it happens, you, you're, you're insane. Um, and slowly over time, you realize these are the moments where, you know, you will bond as a team and create a strength if you can get through it. And, you know, if you handle those moments well for your guests and you understand that, and I think that's like any business crisis creates yeah, yeah. opportunity and it's really true. You have to look at that moment and and sort of roll up your sleeves and say, I'm an opportunity here, as crazy as it sounds. Yeah, something bad is going to be happening all the time. That's the job. That's what they need that's us right. for. That's what they're right. for. You need a lot of miniature fire extinguishers. <laughs> yes, <you do>. Literally. <laughs> yes. Well, it's, it's, all, it's also code. So it's exactly right. All right. The next one is from Alex in Virginia Beach. I own a small business and Yelp and Google reviews dominate my life. How do you handle negative reviews that might hurt your business? I usually just respond online with go somewhere else. Do you really? <laughs> That was Elon Musk said that to the advertisers this week, in, in, in more in more colorful language. I don't imagine that that's what you do. What did you do when the New York Times called Bad Roman a coked out Ruby Tuesdays? We made hats for everyone in our office. Did you? This was a real review, folks. The Times was like, "What is this place? It's so wild. They couldn't handle it." And you guys completely owned it. Every time we get a, a kind of facetious review now or a sarcastic review or there's a funny sort of line and it has a twinge of truth because it's part of our core and we what? are trying to be funny and silly, we take it and we own it and I literally make hats. I make hats that say pleasantly gimmicky. I would get pleasantly a tattoo. Pleasantly gimmicky. I would get a tattoo if I could that said pleasantly gimmicky. Someone said pleasantly gimmicky. And I told everyone in my office, I wish I could have that tattoo. Because I said, that's right. That's right. I. That's right. We're trying to be fun. We're trying to, you know, have people smile. And, you know, they can take that and and given another tone, but we know what our people want. And it's it's a massive amount of people. And there's uh, legitimacy to that over time. And you know what your audience wants. And you know you're creating something that over time is consistently. So you got to own those sort of comments yeah. and know that that's, that's true to who you are. And that's okay. And you really leaned into the Instagram thing with Bad Roman too. Oh, absolutely. You, you had an ad campaign or something was, around it? I was thrilled. You know, I, I said... You know, there was a there was a slew of articles, um, and I think you know a lot of media was concerned, and they're concerned about influencers and and how strong they are. And it surprises me how incredibly strong influencers are mm -hmm. and how they can create. And I think they wrote a lot of negative. Everybody's in restaurants taking photos, and everybody's too obsessed with this. And and you know, I thought to myself, people like this. They they like to have fun. They like yeah. to take pictures of their stuff. They probably do it a little too much, but they are enjoying themselves. They right. are back out. They are sharing experiences. And I don't think they, they, don't they like, they don't need they a lecture don't like from the to New be lectured. And I said, yeah, we're owning this. And we're saying, yeah, we're having fun. And we know people want to take photos and share them. And we're, you know, creating around that to a degree. And like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And like, why should they be lectured at for enjoying it? There is a place for very serious food. And I love that there is a place for, you know, very casual food. And there should be a place for fun food. You want to take photos up and share. And yeah. that is 
the, the majority of the audience out there. So we took out a bunch of ads that said as much. I love it. And what did the ad say? I'm trying to remember all the best lines. I mean, uh, one of them was like on the internet, but in real life. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. Uh, so uh, Priya in Miami called this one in. You've expanded into multiple new markets. What have you learned about geographic expansion? And do you find that diners are different from one city to the next? Human beings are different from one block to the next in New York yeah. City, let alone every yeah. city. Yes, yeah, I think um, I, I've learned a lot of humility, uh-huh. you know, and an understanding that that you know the nuances of what people want are are very different, you know, all over. And uh, I think the amount of creativity and uniqueness in in cities across the US is incredible. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to bring a product in our business into another city, you better really understand that audience. Okay. You better really understand what they're looking for. Um, I think that, you know, really goes back to that same point. I think you have to approach it with a, a an intense amount of humility to to sort of say, you know, is this audience interested in something? Can I do something for them? That's unique, right? Can I do something for them that they would want? Not, you know, can I show up? So it's not, can I take Smith & Walensky to Boston? It's what is the diner in Boston need from us? Are they excited and looking for a classic steakhouse? And in this area, is that something that I think they would really enjoy that would fit, that would make sense? Can we create something that fits their interest, you know, and maybe it needs right. to be tweaked and maybe it needs to be understood. It needs to have the core of who we are, but it also needs to be able to be malleable to the intent of that audience. And that's a fine balance, you know. It's terrific. It's it's good advice about any product and any service is that it starts with the consumer you're, you're serving. Solving <laughs> it, the problem it, it for sounds them. crazy. Jonathan in New York. I know Smith & Walensky was started by her father. Do you enjoy working with family? Is it harder to succeed in a family business? I'd love to hear your perspective. Thanks. I loved working with my father. I love, you know, working with him even now. And um, we don't work as often together. He's 87 now, but we still talk every day, every day. Um, And uh, it was extremely hard. Um, Clearly, I think being able to step into a family business is something that is unique and special. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes without saying that there's a, a stepping stone and a help and a legacy and a different thought in any business, whatever it is, um, but also a level of complexity. And I think, you know, for me, it was it was a lot of opportunity mm-hmm. around being able to step into a business that, you know, my father was in, but also a lot of concern and pressure and thought. And for me, my father never really wanted me to go into his business. He wanted me to- Really? He wanted me to be like him. He was an entrepreneur. He believed in entrepreneurs. He said, go do, be an entrepreneur. Um, But I think when I became passionate about the business, he wanted to work with me and we enjoyed being together. You worked with Danny Meyer first, right? I worked for Danny Myers when I first got out of college. Um, You know, I used to work in political work like you. Um, I used to do a range of stuff. I thought I wanted to go in the art business. Um, and then I, you know, ended up working for Danny for a, a year or so. And 
I just kind of got the bug. Um, and I went to my partner and I said, I think I really like this. And he said, you should like something else, anything else, not this. And I said, no, I really think you like this. And he said, well, if you think you like it, you got to go on the road and you got to be at restaurant openings and you got to see if you can handle that and what you like. And then come back in a couple of years and tell me if you want to be right. in Right. It business. was like he put you in the closet with a box of cigars and <laughs> said you had to smoke them all so you'd never smoke another cigar. A little bit. And I came back and I was you, like, you love cigars. I like cigars. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, I think the thing I never really thought about was our relationship and that was the best thing that I got out of all of it. It was the hardest thing, but like- There's gotta be a two-edged sword there. I've never wanted a boss's approval in the way that I would want my father's approval. I mean, it was a, I don't know if there are more edges to a sword than two, but <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, but there's a depth to that relationship if it works. It's harder, it's like louder, it's tougher, it's more consuming. It's louder, and it's gotta be louder. Two entrepreneurs with a lot of energy, there is a lot of yelling and cursing. Yeah, da dads <laughs> as bosses don't do the compliment sandwich that MBA uh, middle is, managers do when they're giving is, you feedback. Uh, it is a very different world, but it has rewards, you know, that I think, you know, uh, are hard to replicate. That's really cool. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie-loving friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, a daily podcast from Hello Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Every weekday, we bring you conversations with the culture makers who inspire us. Like a recent episode with Hollywood royalty Regina and Raina King. We talked about the creative power of women's relationships. I feel like... 
thank God for women. Like, especially when it comes to Black women, the way we lean on our mothers, our grandmothers, our sisters, our friends. We're just each other's pulse. I mean, it's molecular, you know? Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've got one more. Seth and Austin. I actually got a few questions like this. So this is representative of what the audience really wants to know from you. How do I get treated like a VIP at my favorite restaurant? And how do I get a table when the restaurants are all booked up? This is really, everybody sat through this whole thing about the restaurant business just to find out how do we get. Um, you're going to have to uh, send an email to Mike Stibe. Um, <laughs> at, uh... <laughs> but generally, I mean, so I have a friend who, when he moved to New York City, his dad said, you have to pick your favorite restaurant and you have to go in and see the see the maitre d' and you have to give him this much money in an envelope and make sure he knows your name and your phone number. And that was one way. And he still gets tables there, no problem. Does that work? What are the tricks? You know, it's changed a lot. Um, I think there are a lot of people who are trying to um, create a little more professionalism around this. Um, you know, we're partnered with a group called Blackbird that mm -hmm. just opened. And, and one of their ideas is basically to create a platform for individual restaurants to sort of offer this relationship to their customers in right. a sort of symbiotic way, which I think is really interesting because I think on scale, businesses like ours want to create VIPs and regulars and people want right. to be VIPs and regulars. But it's really awkward to ask, but how do I become your VIP? It's hard to create that, that interrelationship. And I think there's a lot of creativity going on in our industry around how to maybe doing that. Um, you know, there's organic ways. And, and honestly, it's less about handing people money than, than having them get to know you. I mean, getting to know the people in the restaurant, the bartenders, the maitre d's, the hosts, mm -hmm. and being nice you know, is yeah. is more important than than spending money. I will tell you, they genuinely, you know, everyone is there to make money, but being nice, it's as simple as yeah. that in a lot of ways. And a lot of things like that. You, you can tell who at the airport's gonna get their middle seat moved and who isn't when, as soon as they start talking to the to the person at the desk, you it, can just tell. It, it, is, it is, you know, the person who hands them $100 at the door and and acts a certain way is very rarely getting what they want. It's kind of like an arrogant jerk. It's, yeah. it's, you know, it's not about that. I think it's about creating that symbiotic relationship because it's a tough business and people right. are there to make money. Want, they, they, and they do it to make people happy. And, and they, they should too. be treated, they should be treated, you should give it back. And they love regulars. They want that. It creates community yeah. for the people who work in a restaurant. So I think it's just about understanding they want it as much as you do. It's just creating that organically. It's as simple as making a friend in some ways. Yeah. You know, it's how you have to think about it. Michael, this has been fantastic. Thanks for coming on my podcast. It is my pleasure. Thanks for having I me, Mike. Really, really enjoyed this one. Friends, that one was super fun. I'm Michael, I mean, he runs amazing restaurants. He's a fantastic guy. He treats his people so well. Um, if you ever have the chance to go to any of the quality branded restaurants, quality meats, quality eats, quality Italian, all of the ones we talked about as well, uh, don't miss the opportunity. It's a, it's a really fun night. What 
I take away from this conversation, and I, I just wanted to say it for our audience before you head out and tackle everything you're going to tackle this week. Michael clearly thinks so hard about his his audience and what his audience needs and, and wants from him and how to deliver it, which is so different than saying, I want to have a steakhouse or I want to launch a digital app that does X, Y, or Z. It's saying, I, I want to do a service. I want to make somebody else's life better. And how can I do it through my business? And whether your business is taking customer calls or working on marketing campaigns or getting the numbers in on time, I'd encourage you to go through that same exercise. Who is it you're really excited to serve? And how's the work that you're doing serving that person? And if you don't get to a good answer, you know we've also come up with a lot of ideas in this podcast for how to find your purpose, how to find your direction in your career. I tell you it's important. I get a lot of joy out of my work because I like the people I work with and the people I work for. And I wish that for all of you too. So that's it. We got some amazing guests coming up in the next few weeks. We have a CEO who's helping to cure cancer. You're going to get to hear from soon. Another entrepreneur who I think you're going to have a really good time with. I want you to text or call in your questions at 213-419-0596. Or you can always just hit me up on LinkedIn, Instagram, etc. at Mike Stibe. I want to thank Michael again. And of course, Jen, Kara, Meg, Jada, Matt, and the whole team at Blue Duck Media. They helped pull this all together. I want to thank Bahid, who's here in the studio, making it work. We've got Dylan, Sasha Gay, Nathan, and Christine at iHeart, uh, and our friends Ben and the team at William Morris Endeavor for all their support. Office Hours is a production of Blue Duck Media, and it's distributed by iHeart Radio. Remember, friends, we drop new episodes every Wednesday morning, but not next week. It's Christmas, so we're taking the week off, and... We'll be back in the new year. Until then, I want to wish everybody the happiest of holidays. I want to thank you for being a part of this podcast this year. I look forward to seeing you again in 2024. Until then, take care of your people. Have a wonderful rest of the year and stay on your grind. Bye, everybody. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.